this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. you astray with these movies cat i don't know if you liked them as much as i guess you would have <laughs> uh i'll be honest i think that watching robocop like alone is is not the way to watch robocop um i could back that up because i have no nostalgia for it it's not like a thing that was ever like i have no like childhood wonder for it i was like oh i like the leg holster and I believe that's the only note I wrote the entire movie. You didn't like the exploding zombie bodies at the end there? I mean, not really. You didn't like the dad from that 70s show? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not making myself clear. I don't want to fuck with you, son. But I got the connection. I got the sales organization. I got the muscle to shove enough of this factory so far up your stupid wop ass that you'll shit snow for a year. Uh, I did like the uh, guy who's on Crossing Jordan all the time as the the coke coke doing three way oh. having CEO guy who usually is like Jordan, don't do anything stupid and like <laughs> he he appreciates beautiful women, Cat. I thought you would have had a an appreciation for that. There's just something about the way it sounds. Vice President. It just turns me on. God, you girls are so great. I mean, I just, I love to be with intelligent women. Smart is so sexy. I know. Sometimes I could just think of something. And it could just get me so horny. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, a mind is a terrible thing to waste <laughs> i get bored so easily i i have Beautiful, an appreciation smart woman. For, for that part everything else was jarring to watch with my dad i mean the biggest the biggest thing i tell you is cocaine 80s man like i don't like the, the cocaine and the models were just in abundance in the 80s i don't know what to tell you in in detroit no less yeah, I mean, it sure it sure was a picture show. I obviously have nostalgia for Robot Cop, but it's even better now that I'm older that I actually get the jokes. <laughs> I kind of enjoyed a lot of the uh, like metatextual, like looking at the environment in which the film was made kind of aspects, and like the for sure commentary on like Reagan and like all this other stuff that like existed in there. And I was like, oh, okay, this is. Like, I was enjoying that more than I was enjoying the movie. So, what about the movie <laughs> was off-putting? Well, I figured everything out about it about five seconds in. Like, I, I had the plot beats down, and I was like, okay. I, I found a lot of the stop-motion animation incredibly charming. Maybe that was my favorite part, actually. I, oh, yes. but, but also, like, this hyper-violent movie. I shouldn't be like, oh, look at the robot. <laughs> Dr. Magnamara. We'll need an arrest subject. Mr. Kinney. Yes, sir. Would you come up and give us a hand, please? Yes, sir. Mr. Kinney is going to help us simulate a typical arrest and disarming procedure. Mr. Kinney, use your gun in a threatening manner. Please put down your weapon. You have 20 seconds to comply. I think you'd better do what he says, Mr. Kinney. You now have 15 seconds to comply. You are in direct violation of Penal Code 113. 
tripped. Aww. He can't get up. Aww. Um, His 50 caliber looks so cute when it glows like that. Yeah. Um. Like, I don't... I, they... There were a lot of aspects of this movie that I enjoyed. First of all, oh, you know I love a tight hour of 40. Hilarious. But it was like ending, and I was like, oh man, we're like finally going to get to see some of the like impact of this on the greater community, and like it's happening, and we're going to like find out what this is really about. And then it would just hit us with the end title, and I was like, oh. I mean, it's that's, over. Why you gotta, that's why you got to watch Robocop 2. <laughs> I, I think I'm. Do you, good. do you though? Do you have to watch Robocop 2? Oh, yeah, you have to watch World War II, yes. Perhaps in, like, a post-pandemic party setting, I feel like I could probably, in the same way that I could watch Batman and Robin a thousand times at a rave, I could probably be convinced to, like, throw on RoboCop 2 and play a drinking game. RoboCop 2 is, uh, that's another beast for another day. I, I, he has to go looking for his wife and kids then, right? Like, it has to be, like... I mean, why would I want to spoil that? Why would I want to spoil that for you, Cat? RoboCop 2, The Search for Awa. I think that's what, like, the fourth Avatar movie is going to be called. That sounds right. I know Awa's in there. <laughs> like, in my letterbox review for RoboCop, I, I said it's Ghost in the Shell meets 80s cocaine <laughs> meets a slasher flick. Like, that's all it is, and it's so great to me. I mean, you're not wrong, but, like... One of the other movies we watched in the pod was, like, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and I would rather watch that a hundred times before I watch RoboCop again. Or Starship Troopers, which continues to be my real Verhoeven banger after watching this one again. I was like, oh, man, I really like Starship Troopers a lot. <laughs> yeah, I had a couple friends that were like, I think Starship Troopers is your movie from his, like, filmography. You should probably watch that one. It's, it's really fun. I like, I like Starship Troopers a whole lot. I did really like all the casting in this, except I had some, like, this might have been a writing problem, not a casting problem, but I did love that the one female cop had the same personality as Smurfette, uh, which is to say, girl. Wow. wow. Um, did you want more from her? Well, I just felt like they were like, oh, we need someone to be the heart and soul of, like, the movie. Mm. Do we have any broads? Like, can we can we sprinkle a dame into this here picture, but also somehow portray her caring as like a nuisance (laughs) where she's like, what's your name? And everyone just starts yelling at her. (laughs) Like, I was like, oh, oh, wait, like, I'm kind of sad now. Like, this isn't what. No, leave her and her blue eyeliner alone. She's doing her best. All cops do their best, Kat. Didn't they ever tell you that? I mean, especially the RoboCop, he is doing the most. I guess I never really could buy into it, so at no point did I care. I enjoyed it as like, oh, he shot the rapist in the dick. Nice. (laughs) But like, that was about the, the depth in which I engaged with this. And then he took off his head, like a shell thing, and looked like one of the Benny Gesserit from the David Lynch Dune movie, and I couldn't not think that. He really does. So I was just like, I I can't engage with this at at all now, because every time I see his face, I go... I do think Peter Weller has a really, like... At the beginning, before he's RoboCop, I think he has a really inherent, like, approachability and charm to him. Yeah. Like, he's also much smaller than I remember, like, as a man. Like, he's... Because yeah. the suit's so giant, like Peter Weller is sort of a, a like small dude. I always forget. He's also got like a he's got like very defined features, but he still somehow looks like just some guy. Mm-hmm. Like he's got these like big cheekbones, and he's got like very, for lack of a better term, I guess, pouty lips. Which I find it very funny that everyone's like, "Oh my god." Murphy, it's you. And I'm like, could you just tell by his pouty lips? Like, because that's all you can see. I mean, she knew man's for like one day and then all of a sudden can recognize it with the RoboCop helmet. So Yeah, she for after one day, she was like, I would know those pouty lips anywhere. I Which mean, like, hey. <laughs> I never forget a pair of lips. <laughs> Good, great. Is that going to become the new, like, the the journal that they used to make that would scan the back of your eyeball like now you just have like a kiss cam for 
for <laughs> privacy. I'm into that. I saw what it was trying to do, but to me, it was not like crazy enough to be funny because you it didn't was find bad. it funny. You didn't find any no. of the parts of it funny. Oh, I for sure laughed like a maniac when he shot the rapist in the dick. And also when he like put the drill up to his head and was just like very aggressively staring forward and not moving. And then suddenly the screw came out. I was like, all right, but like not enough to justify the rest of it. I, didn't I think hate the, it. the weird comedy is the view of the New Year's party when he's being turned into and like all the people like coming up to his face is so weird. And I love how funny that stuff is. It's really funny, but also like someone smooches his visor, I guess, yeah. which is like a little I, there were like a couple things in this movie that I was like. I literally turned to my dad and was like, is this what y'all did in the 80s? Is this what it was like? Yes, cocaine and slasher flicks. Yes, cat, (laughs) you seeing the light. Yes. So the intentional comedy stuff, you didn't find it at least mildly amusing? Some of it landed, but it got very samey pretty quickly. It seemed like they had one joke, which was like, what if cocaine and slasher movie? I mean, hey, man, I was born in 86, so that's all I need. But like... (laughs) I this is gonna I, I know I said this about like Groundhog Day before when you're we talking about Palm Springs, but like as someone who's grown up in a like post Robocop world where I've seen this stuff done differently or with a little bit more like intentionality or a little more tongue in cheek or or more of a take, I think that just watching the source from the beginning didn't super land for me. Probably good you so, didn't watch the new one then, because the new one I would say has even less of a personality than <laughs> this one does. The new one is like the most generic action movie, but like it's saying nothing. And I like Joel Kinnaman, but it's it's just I, it's I not mean, anything. It, that one I watched like the first five minutes of it just to see, and it seemed very uh, made by committee for the overseas market. Yeah, which yeah. is fine, but not fun either. It's like that new Total Recall again, which is just like you took the sort of craziness. Actually, another Paul Verhoeven movie now that I think about it. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, but, that's uh, him? I did, okay. Yeah, which is yeah. also that's got some weird fun stuff in it. Uh, yeah. But that that remake is equally sort of like, what what? why did you need to do this? I think Robocop may have been oversold to me because like looking at it on Letterboxd, everybody gives it four or five stars it has, like, a 90% on Rotten Tomato. Like, everyone is telling me, like, oh, you'll love this. And then I got there, and I was like, it's fine. But, like, when I... think I'm... it's just part of the canon, maybe. It's one of those, like, back... I mean, yeah, I wasn't alive when Back to the Future came out, but that's one of those ones that just defined yeah. our age group growing up. I feel like it's another one of those. Uh, yeah. It's like... So, Dan, what's your relationship with RoboCop? Did um, you grow up with it? No, I am a huge action movie fan. Definitely a lot of dad movies with with my dad when I was growing up. But I saw most of our Hoban in college when some friends and I just did a like for over a couple of weeks. We're just going to go through his entire library. Um, and that's when I saw Robocop for the first time. Then I saw it again for the second time for this. Dan, how old are you? I'm 29. OK, damn, that's kind of surprising. Like even for like the rewatchability of it, like you never kind of caught it on like. T, like TBS or like TNT or something like that. I think but, a part of me knew that it wouldn't be the... I knew enough about it to know it wasn't the full thing if it's like kind of neutered for TV. So yeah. I just I decided to wait until I could see it sort of in, com- in complete state. Oh, I take it back. I laughed when that guy got shot out the window. Like the uh, guy... In the well, I mean, which one? Well, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I think in this Slenderman case, was, Arms? Was it when Slenderman yeah, Arms yes, went out the Slenderman window? Yes, it was Slenderman Arms. <laughs> Hilarious. But, like, I was thinking of, like, what other movies of this kind of era do I like more and why? And I know this isn't exactly a one-to-one comparison because this one's got, like, a lot more, like, high sci-fi elements. But, like, Flash Gordon was the first thing that came to mind for me of, like, I wish it was either more like Flash Gordon where it's so dialed up to 11 that they have to be in on the joke. Because Star Wars, at least, I feel like they were, like, this is a serious movie, even though it's like a movie about space wizards for children. And I felt like RoboCop tried to kind of split the difference. And I don't know that it landed for me. 
No, they were definitely intentional in the comedy. And even with the kind of the stuff you sort of alluded to about uh, the Reagan era and conservatism and mm-hmm. capitalism of that era and also the cocaine. For me personally, like kind of coming out of that era and sort of seeing it, obviously like a, a baby coming out of that era or whatever, but still kind of close enough to kind of recognize like the cues from that. And also like when I call it a slasher film, like, yeah, like it's mega gory. Mm-hmm. It's coming out, you know, of that era where like Jason and Friday the 13th and like all those are like, still they're very grotesque but they're still at least popular to some people for yeah. me like the comedy is like hilarious like i laugh my ass off like the entire movie i think if i watched it with a group of people and we were all kind of for lack of a better term like talking shit or even kind of like giving it the riff tracks treatment i think i would have a lot more fun with it but i just think on its own after everybody telling me how great it was for so long it totally did not land for me. It's so interesting you say that it didn't feel cranked up because if you ask most people who are Verhoeven fans, like what's the thing about Verhoeven movies, they'll say, oh, he, that shit's cranked up. Yeah. Uh, and like across, kind of across the board on all of his, even things like um, The Hollow Man is like a really kind of gnarly, unpleasant slasher movie. I don't think you're wrong. I think Robocop is probably the most dialed down, maybe, which is a weird thing to say. It may like, also but, yeah. be that we just came from like Batman and Robin, though, where I'm like, like out the gate, like I, my yard is anything cranked is... higher than that, though. That's as high as anyone anything can crank anything. So my like this... yardstick may just be a little off balance right now. Yeah, because this is a guy that gave us Showgirls, Basic Instinct, Robocop, Starship Troopers, Total Recall. I would say that's well, I don't know about Showgirls, but Hollow Man. Actually, you know what? Fuck it. We're putting Showgirls in top five, which that movie is fucking absolutely that, ridiculous. That movie is bananas. That movie is turned up to a fucking million. <laughs> but actually, Sounds I like think, my brand, honestly. I think it's funny. Like, I think Total Recall actually is one of my favorite sci-fi movies ever. And I would actually say I think RoboCop is more turned up than that. But I think he kind of approaches Total Recall with a bit more slickness i would say like and also it's there's no comedy like they're really trying to do in total recall like it's it's a pretty uh serious kind of movie but we gotta review showgirls because i think showgirls has to be like a one movie episode because ooh, ooh doggy that movie is turned if, the fuck up if you like movies with a lot of nudity but absolutely zero sexual energy uh, Showgirls is the I movie mean, for you. <laughs> There's one line in the movie where the guy says, "Everybody got AIDS and shit." It's it's really funny because Showgirls has the widest like range of ratings from my friends on Letterboxd. There are like a lot of four and five stars, and then there's a ton of half stars, and there's like I, I buy no that. in between. If you look at the letterbox even scale, it's probably the most balanced movie. It has 2,800 uh, five-star ratings and 2,800 one-star ratings. <laughs> that's crazy. We but love to see it. That's that's real balance. That is true balance. As as all things must be. Um, IMDb, 4.9. Square in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Maybe I would have had a better time if I watched it with someone who actually liked it. Uh, your dad. Uh, so Peter your dad was not a fan. Not Peter, oh. Peter was like, this was a mistake. Having a child was a mistake. Having a child <laughs> who likes movies was really a mistake. What did you so, think of the Jesus allegory of it all? Did that land for you? Uh, weirdly, yes. But like <laughs> not. I was like, are they trying to do that? So Verhoeven is a scholar of jesus and i don't mean he is a very religious man i i mean paul verhoven is very interested in the man jesus christ who was alive and did things and like has like given lectures on it and stuff so this was his i want to create a modern mythic tale for america and that was robocop okay so see now i feel like i need to go back and watch it with that knowledge 
Like, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Christ, I feel like all of great. these all of these movies had strong Christ energy. Oh, that's true, actually. Yeah, but um, oh my God, oh, I feel like I need to go watch it with that knowledge, and then and then He's bring risen. it. Bring it to Easter, I guess. This Hallelu- is a great Easter movie for the family. R- Robocop is risen indeed. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Oh, he God, really? Water. He turned water into cocaine. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what can he do? Yeah. I... I may bleep that joke out. I hold it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sound advice or whatever. It's like comics, conventions, and cosplay, or whatever. It's like ladies' night, or whatever. It's like wrestling, or whatever. It's like parenting, or whatever. It's like anime, or whatever. It's like spiritual warfare, or whatever. It's like great friends, awesome people, coming around, doing what we do best. Or whatever. You should watch, listen, and follow. Or whatever. It's like a podcast or whatever. Speaking of white sabers, The Matrix. Oh my god. (laughs) Which I didn't need to watch again because it's playing on a loop in my head all the time. (laughs) I can just picture it whenever I want. So... I, this is actually my first time watching The Matrix all the way through because I'm I'm a bad young person uh, is the short answer. I watched it once in a science fiction class, but weirdly they my high school science fiction teacher skipped through the rave part. Can't imagine why. I think it was because it was a two hour block and that was the only part he could skip that wouldn't like completely ruin the story. Oh, speaking of better TVs, man, I had no clue there was so much ass in that scene, man. So many nipples. So many nipples. I am starting to wonder, like, because Robocop had it, too, and Blade had it, and, like, I don't know what's going on, like... Was the nineties and, and, and go was night was the all of the nineties a rave? I was only alive for the very end of it. You know the funny thing? Someone retweeted this article that came out recently, and the eighties and nineties, whether right or wrong, they were really good about putting sex in movies. And most of it, I can definitely admit, was wrong. But are we, we definitely... about to have the sixteen candles conversation again? Because I'm not drinking tonight, but I am if we're rehashing this. Well, no, um, we're not going to talk about that movie directly, but it's in the sort of realm of that to where the sexualization of a lot of 80s and 90s movies were not necessarily always good, but at least it was kind of in the movies in some sort of way. Now we've kind of hit this sort of marker in the last, I mean, since really the turn of, you know, the millennium that sex in movies just isn't a thing anymore like 50 shades of gray or whatever like that's an anomaly and it's so it's so funny the bookend of basic instinct was an anomaly in the sense that gay sex in movies it was as kind of like sexualized that movie was like it wasn't as pertinent in the culture and the mindset that it came out in and then bookend to that with 50 shades of gray and that movie was vanilla as fuck but it was sort of meant to be like this erotic sort of movie when that movie was fucking terrible those movies were terrible is this but, another thing that we can like blame the rise of conservatism in the light of 9-11 on because uh, yeah. I, I feel like that is i know that's my answer for everything but uh okay. i i do feel that this is one of those cases where like to paraphrase someone who was on a podcast about the shrek 4d movie at universal studios sometimes it feels like shrek was really the end of innocence because it is, even that movie's kind of gross and weird and janky, and there's, like, a ton of, like, shit humor that doesn't happen in subsequent anything. Well, and so much of, like, a big middle finger to Disney directly in Shrek. It is it is so directly going after our generation's childhoods. Oh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, like... I have some strong feelings about you, my guy, but, uh... <laughs> but I mean, I sort of feel for you cat that like you're entering these movies that you haven't seen before that have like this decades and a and like genre redefining legacy after them like i don't know how 
I would go back and watch The Matrix for the first time today without having the context of what The Matrix is. Like, that feels... I, I don't envy that position for you to, like, come to The Matrix in 2021 and go, like, let's see what this is about after it changed action movies for 20 years. Uh, yeah. That's well, hard. Like, even the color filters right away, I was like, oh, it's green. It's not real. Oh, it's blue. It's real. Like, I and I was like, I don't, how do I know that? And the answer is, like, it's just a thing ingrained. now. It's ingrained yeah. in you, yeah. In the cultural consciousness. And it's funny talking about even even thinking about how the directors and they've transitioned when these movies were pop culture, that wasn't even in the conversation. Like no one even knew that at all. Mm-hmm. And now like it's a thing. And now looking it's funny. <laughs> I don't know if this is bad or good, but it's like knowing that the transition now and then looking at the matrix again and then that one scene, it's like, ah, oh, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> Well, the other thing is just, like, it takes a lot of the tropes that we've seen in other movies. So, like, I mentioned even, like, the the Blade kind of stuff. But then it adds this, like, gloss of, like, it's not real and what's real actually kind of sucks. And, like, I think that Keanu Reeves gives kind of an immaculate performance because he really is, like, embodying these kind of, like, for lack of a better term, like, Taoist principles of, like, be the board and absorb everything that you can. So, like, by the end, really the only thing that's changed about him at all is he has, like, 3% more confidence than he did. (laughs) And really, that's kind of nice, because when there, you know, I find out there is a Matrix sequel, I'm like, oh, man, is he going to get, like, a little more confidence now? And, like, the answer is it's bad and I don't want to talk about it. But, like, okay. Um, Um, uh, Not to spoil it and not to get really sidetracked, but... The second one, it's not as bad as you kind of think it is, but I think there's it was some worth cool stuff in that second one. They built yeah. a highway for an action scene for that second one. How bad can it really be? More but nipples same... also. Oh, nice. <laughs> Love that. Um, but at the same time, like the first time they like bend to avoid the bullets, I was like, oh, that was in a Gap commercial. That was a dance. Like black folks in clubs were doing like the the bullet time <laughs> in like dance halls. Like that was a fucking thing. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it's very weird to grow up in a, in a post that world. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like I don't I don't mean to be rude to RoboCop, because RoboCop's doing a, its thing. But like I felt like this movie had a lot more like deliberate layers on layers on layers on layers, and like RoboCop had like three layers, and this one's like here's our ninety thousand page book about all the subtext we tried to weave in here. Yeah, but that's but that's the kind of the thing and the difference between Matrix and RoboCop. RoboCop, other than kind of the subtle the subtle jabs at what 80s life sort of was, like they don't really care about subtext. It's really about the joke and the gore. But right. Matrix is thoughtful enough, and it and you're right, it does sort of trigger this sort of difference in how we can kind of have action movies to where you can have like. Is, are we all slaves like are we all like some sort of type of slave to some sort of thing in our lives or whatever i felt that at least watching matrix there was more for me to like sort through and like i don't want to say engage with because that's not really like what it was but like i was more engaged in the matrix because i was like oh like this is really interesting and looking at this with the metatextual lens of both of the wachowskis being trans and looking at like the, the kind of coming out allegory for for queerness and looking at well a lot of a lot of Christ allegory and my understanding is it gets a lot more Christy as it goes and that's fine but like you know even looking at the allusions to Greek myths that exist and like why are those like there's so much more stuff for me to kind of sort through that even when the 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 fight scene is happening and it's like a gap commercial or like a music video I've seen I'm still thinking through different aspects of it. So I was never bored or at least like unengaged. Last Action Hero makes fun of that. What RoboCop does. Yes. And so, so yeah, like the deepness in those eighties and nineties action movies, it it was really not there, (laughs) but Dan for you. So what was kind of your experience growing up with the matrix? Was it something like RoboCop to where you, you saw it like later on in life or was it something that you kind of were dealing with in the moment? No, this is a, this is a like pillar of who I am as a movie fan. Like (laughs) a lot of my exposure to action movies as a kid was when like 
my mom would go out of town on a trip and my dad would go like, great, it's time for an R-rated action movie. Uh, not that my mom would have cared, but it was just like, <laughs> boys night, whatever. It's fun. And this was my first R-rated movie ever. Oh, shit. And then it became, and I saw it when I was nine. Oh, damn. And then it became the like sleepover movie of choice for my friends and I for the next four years where I've, I've seen this movie 10,000 times. So yeah, like this is, this is a, a formative piece of my history with movies and everything. Yeah. What about, what about matrix uh, has you drawn to it so closely? Good question. I mean, I think at that age, there's a sort of, there's a sort of undeniable coolness to so much of this movie. Yeah. The way people look, the way people talk, the way things are shot are all just like no one had made a movie like this before. And, you know, obviously there's a really there's a problematic legacy to this movie in some ways. But again, as a nine year old, the like we need guns. Lots of guns. Shit <laughs> like that's as cool as anything can be. And, and they're like all dressed the like the detector. Columbine shooters. Totally. That's exactly what I mean. And yeah, it's, well, they and started, I, yeah. it's not the yeah. fault of the Matrix that the Columbine no. was actually several months beforehand. It's uh, like the timing was weird. But well, this is something Matrix we came out. We talked yeah. about a lot in our Scream episode as well, where it's like they would you would not make Scream now because so much of that movie takes place in a high school. Yeah. And I mean, I love I think uh, Hugo Weaving's performance in this is is a, like a master class in and like he's not doing a great American accent, but that sort of works for it because it's so weird. Like the way he talks is just I like his entire speech to Morpheus when Morpheus is is drugged. I can sort of do from memory, and I love so much of the just his weird like virus, like the, the way he pronounces all those words is just amazing. The smell, the smell. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I hate this place this zoo this prison this reality whatever you want to call it i can't stand it any longer it's the smell if there is such a thing i feel saturated by it i can taste your stink Every time I do, I fear that I've somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive, isn't it? Uh, I, I also... The stench in here is, yeah, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, and it, it for sure makes him seem a little bit more like a, a program. In, in the same way that, like, Watson, the computer, doesn't, like, talk like a totally normal person. Which would be yeah. terrifying, by the way. Glad that doesn't happen. And I think they do a really amazing job of sort of getting around the like magical old black lady trope in this movie of of making her sort of like dismissive of him in a way that you don't see very often of obviously like that's sort of what he needed to hear. But also, yeah, just everything about the way that scene is constructed of like, you know, what a really burn your noodle. Would you have yeah. would that have happened if I hadn't said anything like all that stuff? I just think is so beautifully put together and set up and everything. Well, I the answer I feel to like, that is no, he would not have knocked it over. Exactly. I, I feel like she's just doing her job. She yeah. is not like a spiritual guidance mentor. She's a program. This is what she does and she's going to do it. And oh, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, kiddo. Take a cookie and you'll feel better. Like it almost feels like at the end of a dentist appointment where they're like, and here's a lollipop because you were so brave. What did you think of Trinity on a first watch, Kat? I'm very curious. I... <laughs> Okay. Oh shit! Here we go. So, Let's get it. on the surface level, I think she's really interesting. Like as a as a, it seems like she was kind of the first woman in the crew. Of course, she has to be like very traditionally pretty, fine, and somehow, and this is just a pet peeve of mine, but I understand that it's a personal thing. Uh, somehow, in the apocalypse, she has a razor to shave her underarms. Neat. Hilarious. Like good, good for her, I guess. I mean, well, they're all shaved. If you notice, every single person is Morpheus. He's that bald head, immaculate. So yeah. So I don't, I don't know, but like underarms are hard. I don't know if you've ever shaved them. So like, if you had a straight razor, I, I would not. That's how you lose an arm. Anyway, so this is gonna sound so bad. Oh, here we um, go. Yes. When she gives her speech, when he's dead. It's almost verbatim what Belle says at the end of Beauty and the Beast. 
And to say I was shook would be a bit of an understatement. Where it's like, no, no, you can't be gone. I love you. And it's like, da, 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 da. And like, I was like, even the musical, I was like, what? What? Got to give the people what they want, cat. I mean, listen, I liked that it didn't come the hell out of nowhere. Like, she was like bringing him food, and Cypher was like, "You didn't do that for me," and like whatever. Also, like, way to make Italians look terrible, the Wachowskis. Um. Whoa, 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 Paisan, what's going on here? Where did that come from? Cypher. You think Joey Joey Pants was great in this movie? The pill you took is part of a trace program. It's designed to disrupt your input-output carrier signal so we can pinpoint your location. What does that mean? It means buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye-bye. Joey Pants is great in this movie. He is great, but he is not, like, I don't know. I, I, mm, mm. I don't want to remember nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I just feel that Trinity did not... I don't want to say she didn't earn the emotional catharsis because she didn't, but it was such a departure from what we had seen at any point up until now. Where, like, even when Morbius was gone, she was, like, a little frustrated. But, like, she didn't move her eyebrows about it. And, like, suddenly, suddenly Tom, who she's known for three weeks, is dying and she just can't handle it. And I'm, like... Also, this movie's a lot funnier. God, his if you name remember, is Tom. If it? you remember, his name is Tom. This whole time. Love makes you do weird things, Cat. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, I thought you were gonna go into the like fate versus choice thing of like she's she's fated to end up with the one, but she's also sort of leaning into the choice for that in a way that is, I guess, kind of interesting. I I guess, but like so little time in the actual movie is devoted to, yeah, to totally. it that like I. I don't mean to sound bad, but, like, I don't really care how she feels because the movie doesn't care how she feels. Yeah. The, the movie goes, okay, she's got to end up at this point on the chessboard. We should probably spatter some breadcrumbs before there so it's not, like, completely out of left field. But it's still, like, pretty far out of left field. And so when it culminates with her very, like, but I love you. And I was like, Him? why because um, he's he's the one we don't know he, why he's he does, the one he he's does look one. nice in the suit like he comes out in that suit at one point that nice little black slim fit number and i was like nice but like i literally said, texted he, my friend during this and i was like i can't tell if i'm attracted to young keanu reeves or if it's just the tailoring and like i stand by that i can't tell is this the movie he's looked the best in Probably. He looks pretty good in John Wick. Oh yeah, no, uh, he could he could run me over with a car in John Wick, and I would ask him to do it again. So basically, the grizzled vet versus the the young one, literally. I hmm. raise you the suits. I think. The I mean, suits the suits are better in John Wick. Yeah. The suit is what sets it over for me because it's like, all right, come on, fucking shave, but like, oh my god, oh my god. The beard's kind of raggedy. Yeah, it's I, we, need, we really need to get to a point in culture where people stop jacking the beards and and a lot of men just recognize you don't need a beard my guy just leave leave it to the professionals please it's so funny thinking about this kind of in the context of 2021 and, and 99 like it's funny cat like if you would have been like of age and dating in 99 like 80 percent shot of guys you would have talked to that would have said their favorite movies were either The Matrix or Fight Club. Yeah, and, <laughs> like, and one of those people I would be more likely to go out with than the other one. See if you can guess which one. Hilarious. But I still, like, I have gone on dates or, like, visited someone in their dorm room, seen a Fight Club poster, and left. Unless you can talk to me intelligently about the queer subtext, and you can't. If you're in a college dorm room and you have one piece of furniture and it's a Fight Club poster, you can't. <laughs> the psychology behind college posters is really funny. Like, if you really think about it, like, girls that have, like, Audrey Hepburn posters on their walls. <laughs> like, guys I... with Fight Club posters on their walls. And dudes really? have just like Scarface, and it's like you, you uh, dudes have all these posters of movies they're fundamentally misunderstanding Banding. with anti yep. anti heroes that everyone should go like, oh, that person is a monster. I shouldn't put them on my wall. And then those are all uh, Boondock Saints yes. is the other yep. one Boondock that I'm Saints, sure is yes. next on your list. <laughs> Pulp Fiction is also Pulp one Pulp where Fiction. I'm like, uh, 
you which are, I like you, way less than most people, but yeah. I hope that, and I think it probably did, like The Matrix, allow more people to think complexly about their movies. Um, yes. Not, not a lot of people, but... I do agree. I think The Matrix did open a lot of people's minds to what action and what movies, like, could be. And a lot of people kind of on the verge of, like, the, the, like the Fight Club joke that I made, but kind of along those lines, like, I think a lot of people, for Fight Club in particular, not necessarily Matrix, but Fight Club in particular really did have a misunderstanding of that movie. But I just think it was sort of this era to where at least movies of pop culture, they could be these other things. It could be something a bit deeper than, you know, just, you know, dodging bullets and helicopters crashing on the side of buildings. Yeah. I also think whether or not the Wachowskis were cognizant of this when they made it, they did kind of make a really strong queer coming out allegory film. There's, yeah, I mean, there are characters of... that change gender appearance between the real world and the Matrix, and it's never called out. Uh, and, it's it's pretty fascinating. And also just the idea that, like, the big moment for Neo, the moment where we're all supposed to stand up and cheer, is when Hugo even goes, Mr. Anderson, and he goes, "I like, my name is Neo. And, like, it's very much kind of shutting down, like, that's who I was and this is who I am now. Looking at it with that lens as well. I thought was really, again, it was another thing that I was like, oh, this is, like, not boring. There's stuff here. It's so funny, yeah, about, like, the the weird split in my brain about The Matrix. Because on one hand, I love the, like, it, it really did elevate the, the discourse in action movies. You have action movies with philosophy. I have a philosophy degree. Like, that's what I went to college for. So, like, that was fully my shit. And then there's also... I just think of all these moments and it and the little 12 year old in my brain who just goes like, wow, like when he crashed the helicopter, all the windows rippled. That was so cool. Like, <laughs> that scene is iconic. There's so that many, really there's so many just moments of, you know, like I know Kung Fu has been so trampled by pop culture for 20 years, but also that's so Whoa. cool. Like he knows Kung Fu because they stuck a floppy disk into his goddamn brain. Like, ah, yeah, yeah it's, that's the weird split of the matrix is you have the, both those conversations happening against each other and with each other all the time. One of my good friends from college, one of our like longest running like jokes is Morpheus. Yes. Like just the way <laughs> just the way that Lawrence Hizer just says yes in those like conversations is just like audio jazz. It's it's just great. Like it's it's a pop culture staple, this movie. Yeah. I heard someone say he sits the fuck out of a chair in this movie. I <laughs> I would agree with that. Matrix is the first action movie that I could think of that's when people said it was their favorite movie, it wasn't necessarily like like if adults said this is their favorite movie, it wasn't a thing to be like, wow, you're childish. Like, no, like, yeah, a lot of people love this movie. Hey, what's up, everybody? WWE Hall of Famer, the Godfather here. Special shout out to B hyphen and Handsome Bane for the WrestleCast Power Hour. And it's available everywhere podcasts or streams so everybody check them out you know the godfather will and it's time once again for everybody at the hyphen podcast group to come aboard the whole train smelly later sweaty marks Speaking of been enjoying, I have Last Action Hero on, and I'm at the I'm at the part where Jack Slade's house is about to blow up in like 30 seconds. Officer Slater, the guy with the missing eye, I saw his license plate. Good for you. You mean the guy with the glass eye? No. When he was running for the car, it was missing. It's got words. Vengeance. Is. Don't touch! I'm really interested to hear Cat on this one because this is definitely a movie that I literally grew up on. Like, I've always loved this movie. When I was a kid, though, I really didn't get the meta-ness of the movie. 
it was just a fun ass ride. But watching it as an adult and how basically Arnold, who's someone who built 80s and 90s action movies, completely shitted on those movies with this one movie. It's it's spectacular to me. But Kat, what do you think about Last Action Hero? Oh, I thought it fucking slapped. Um, <laughs> I had a great time. First of all, I watched it with a group of friends on like one of those weird chat apps so we could all talk about it while it was happening, which was 150% the right way to watch it. It took all the things that I love about actual campy action movies and did it really well while also being kind of sarcastic about it. I don't know if anybody noticed that the bad guy's swimming pool is a recreation of the Venice Canalways, complete with bridges. Yes. Um, oh, yes. And, like, that made me laugh for, like, a long time. Like, even one of the people in our chat at the part at the Tarpits was like, oh, yeah, I forgot, like, every action movie in California, like, wound up in the, like, Tar Pits at some point. It's... So clever and well done without ever being boring, but also it's clear that their criticism is based in, like, love of the source material. And I don't want to say, like, a desire for it to be better, because that's not what it is exactly, but, like, acknowledgement that these tropes are tropes and, like, that sometimes they are annoying. And also sometimes things are just better when they're not explained too much. I just think it went over people's heads when it came out, though. The reviews for it, like, of the time, it's... Definitely kind of dismissive in the sense, and especially like coming from, I can kind of see from the perspective of Arnold is someone who has like a shitload of action movies before this that were doing all these kind of these things that the movie is sort of pointing out and making fun of, and now he's kind of doing it in this sort of movie. To me, like I think this is probably the funniest Arnold movie. Like, I would agree. He I would just. Agree fucking goes for it and every and the thing you're like saying as far as like everyone's kind of everyone sort of in it and buying in like everyone has complete buy-in and i feel like that buy-in on the front end is paid off when he gets into new york to where the stark difference of this fake hollywood movie and then what their quote-unquote reality was of new york at the time was it's so stark that it, it feels it feels worth it. Like the movie is a bit long. I definitely kind of admit to that, yeah. but it it just feels like you build it up so well, and then you get to New York to where he shoots a taxi trunk and he's surprised the car didn't get engulfed in flames. <laughs> <laughs> like, like yeah, bro. Like you just shot a fucking empty trunk. Like nothing's gonna happen. So yeah, but also like the the kind of inverse of that is that I love that the villain feels like he's in over his head in the real world because it's like too mean and amoral and weird and it's too easy like for him to get away with being a bad I just shot someone <laughs> hello I've just shot somebody I did it on purpose I said I have murdered a man and I want to confess. Hey, shut up down there. I have On like, purpose. And the, the appropriate New York response was shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that role was earmarked for Alan Rickman, who said, fuck no. And so the, <sighs> the actor who played him uh, wore a shirt that said budget Alan Rickman on set. Nice. Uh, and I'm not saying I need that. Oh, I need that. If, if super yakky stuff made it, I would the, sure as hell buy it. The great Charles Dance, 20 years before Game of Thrones. Just chewing oh, yes. scenery in this movie. Chewing it. Oh, he's so good. But also, like, I guess the thing that would have turned me off of this movie completely is if the emotional beats didn't work. Yeah. And, like, I am... I, almost hesitate to bring this up but my big problem with jingle all the way was that none of the oh emotional God. beats landed is a classic cat it's bad and it's incredible it's an incredibly cynical take on its own genre whereas this is it and it is making fun of its own genre but it's kind of optimistic about it cat the emotional beats land cat uh, i just i just want you to put those cookies down i listen howard Howard. 
Anyway, the thing that struck me about this movie and caught me off guard in the midst of everything that was happening was how sincere it was. Yeah. And, like, first of all, he and the mom definitely fucked, right? Like... I mean, I mean... Add add some boings. Let's go. I like that he was like, it it was nice to just talk and like literally, no, come on now. (laughs) That shit was so funny. Come on now. Funnier as an adult. I just talked. It was nice. What what are you holding Caulfield? You call so you call a call girl and then just cry. Nah, come on, get out of here. Jack Slater is not talking to. He's not having, like, intimate conversations about souls and the universe with anyone in these movies. Like, or, like, his his now basically adopted son's education. Like, it's not. It's no. Like, mm-mm. Nope. Nuh-uh. I think the best part of this movie is when Jack Slater tells Arnold Schwarzenegger, you brought me nothing but pain. <laughs> <laughs> so meta. So meta. So great. I still can't believe that man became governor of California. <laughs> like, I I think about that sometimes. And I'm like, wow. Because at the beginning of the movie, they're like, do you really expect me to believe that Tina Turner is the, the mayor of L.A.? And I was like, do you so really great. expect me to believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger is governor <laughs> of California? I completely forgot they had her in for like four seconds in this movie. I totally forgot that. It was it's so, so great good. Her. And that's, like, the thing that I love about it is, like, there's a lot of, like, weird action movie roles where people only pop up in one scene and then it's over. And, like, this movie clearly knew that and loved that. And, like, the admiration for action movies is kind of palpable. Yeah. I mean, it's Arnold, so yeah. Yeah. Also, like, oh, my God. I would both kill and die for Danny DeVito cat. Hilarious. Um, So good. First of all, I'm a sucker for any pastiche on McGruff the Crime Dog, which that for sure is. I'm also a sucker for any Who Framed Roger Rabbit pastiche, which that also for sure is. The Sharon Stone cameo. Basic Instinct, oh my god. This time's a flat circle. My god, damn. Oof. So I'd, I'd never seen this before, and it was a like major blind spot in my action movie fandom, and I was very embarrassed. So I was glad to see it. And yeah, 100% agreed. This thing is so much fun. I didn't know about Alan Rickman, Cat. That's crazy because this is the same director as Die Hard. So he like <laughs> yeah. he worked with Rickman and and made the seminal like early 90s action movie, late 80s, early 90s, and then went on to do this like love letter to action movies. The other thing I'll just mention, the the kid walks up to the line of being an annoying kid actor and then never crosses it the <laughs> entire movie. But he's like yeah. His toes yeah. are on that line the whole time. And it it's a crazy balance that it never, it, he never becomes annoying. He's always just like, oh, this kid just like knows movies. He's a fan of movies, but he's not an obnoxious dickhead about it. But that was you. You were in that movie. You were in a movie? Yes. It was called The Girl of My Dreams. It starred you. As a matter of fact, we had this very romantic scene together. What's the phone number of the store? 555-2310. Okay, what's your home number? That's okay. You can give it to him. I'm a police officer. 555-3812. Amazing. I'm willing to bet that everyone has a 555 number. So? So? There can only be 9,999 numbers that start with 555. How many people live in L.A.? 8 or 9 million. Aha! That's why we have area codes. Oof! Is this your kid? This? Oh no. This is a mental patient and I'm gonna take him downtown. Come on. Okay, I got one. What about this girl right here? She is way too attractive to be working at a video store. I agree with you. I think she should be working with us. On the cover, of course. Look, the point is, there are no unattractive women here. I mean, where are the ordinary, everyday women? They don't exist because this is a movie. No, this is California. I was so impressed with so many parts of this movie. I also, I know this is like a bit, a bit dumb as MacGuffins go, but the idea that like their whole explanation was ticket from Houdini, and that was okay. it. They felt no need to explain anything else anymore. What more do you need? Well, what, like, what more do you need? 
I I was thinking about this in the context of like other MacGuffins. Every action, like I'll say, superhero action MacGuffin has to have like a it has to be burdened with this glorious purpose and all of this plot. And this guy's just like, yeah, it's a ticket from Houdini, and I'm kind of a wimp, so I never used it. Do you want it? <laughs> do, do you want to go hang out with the person you've conflated with your dead father? <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, shit. Who also conveniently has a dead son that would be your age. And that's initially why he's so resistant <laughs> to their connection. Everything about this movie is wild and over the top, and it shouldn't land so well. Like, he has the Charlie Brown closet where he opens the sliding door and it's all the same shirts, all the same jackets, all the same shoes. And there's always a guy in there that he has to shoot when he gets home. Every time. There's always a guy in there. I'm thinking about Alan Rickman. I'm actually kind of glad that he he passed on this. Well, I'm glad he passed on it, but I do think just of the time, like, I don't think people really saw the vision, man. Like, Arnold's career total, like, not necessarily, like, Obviously, he's not fucking Brando, but, like, if you were, like, of the 90s, Arnold legit had, like, top three career, like, actor of, like, that time. Like, he's just mega famous, and then especially coming off, like, Terminator 2. It's just one of those things to where maybe Rickman just didn't want, like, that kind of overexposure, or maybe he just didn't want to be categorized as just, like, a, a action bad guy or whatever, but man, they really stuck the land with this fucking movie, man. I really love this movie a lot. I think my only real issue with it is that, like, the last 20 minutes becomes really unfocused, and, like, I don't need the serial killer from the beginning back again to make this, like, make it an effective ending. Yeah. And yeah. I, that's not, like, a giant problem, but it's just, like, it, it has that, like, one or two too many endings issue that some some movies have. But as a minor little return of the King E. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is a movie where a couple of the action scenes, especially like I could have just a little bit taken out of them and we probably wouldn't notice or care. But we we definitely need to see the corpse going off the side of the hotel. Like, listen, if we if we haven't established if we haven't established that me watching people get thrown off of buildings is my jam this week, apparently, uh, clearly y'all have not been paying attention. I would also just like to say to kind of piggyback on the Arnold thing though, like I said this last week as well. So I apologize. uh, Those of you who listen to every episode, but like he knows exactly what he can do. And I think that makes it a lot better for him to pick his or easier. I don't know. Like I don't live in his brain. But, like, he knows exactly what he can do, so he knows exactly what parts he can really excel at and excels at them. Like, even though Terminator Dark Fate is not a great movie, like, he is an incredibly bright spot in that movie. He's the only bright spot in that fucking shit show of a movie. I don't think I have laughed as hard as I had when he was, like... Solid colors for a little girl. And like, I just, I lost it. It was so much in a movie that was so little everywhere else. I did not see Dark Fate because it was when I I had a year of like AMC A-list and I was seeing two or three movies a week and every single one had that trailer in front of it. And I just became so pissed off at Dark Fate. I didn't end up seeing it at the end. So um, I was I was doing freelance film criticism at the time, so I was also seeing two to three movies a week. Party. And that was the first Terminator movie I saw that wasn't Terminator 2 3D at Universal Studios. <laughs> which, I do cool. admit, uh, wholeheartedly, Terminator 2 3D is probably, like, the second best Terminator movie. I can kind of see how this might not have landed super well. Because the other thing is, like, this is not... A kids movie no really but because the main character is a kid there's like a lot of like weird dissonance i think about like yeah. is it a kids movie they definitely have the sega game for i definitely remember that getting from blockbuster <laughs> Damn, i'm old as fuck guys i'm old as fuck i made a blockbuster reference about a <laughs> I... sega genesis game for last action hero hey blockbuster used to be my favorite place to go on friday nights it's fine <laughs> Oh, no, it was Apex. Apex. Also, just give a shout out that this director, John McTiernan, also did Hunt for Red October, which is like a top three movie (laughs) of mine ever. Uh, Oh, shit. 
I am just I I am, I, I love John McTiernan and Rollerball. John McTiernan has had a rad career, and then he went to prison for tax stuff. Uh, oh. So I mean, yeah. what Wesley okay, did as too. As long as it's just tax stuff, we can deal with just tax stuff. He's apparently a very nice man on set, so that's the word about John McTiernan, which is a relief. <laughs> Dan, have you Dan, have you watched Crimson Tide? I have watched Crimson Tide. Yeah. Crimson Tide or Red October? Red October. Oh, that was the wrong answer. I just thought Red October should... is like an action scene with no an action movie with no action, and it's like everyone is just acting their butts off in that movie. I I love Run for Red October. It's just smart people doing smart stuff, which is a real sweet spot genre for me. I kind of love this guy's career. He also directed. Wait, he directed Predator. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yo, he he had hits with Arnold like that. He had hits, and then he had hits with Arnold. So and Die Hard, yeah, he defined a lot of the '80s action movie landscape. Uh, and then and then he went like, I also have some opinions about this genre, and I feel we need to address them with a child. Yeah. Which uh, you know, I respect the hustle, honestly. He, he directed Thomas Crown Affair, which uh, that was that was a '99, and that was it wasn't like uber sex movie, but. I mean, Pierce Bronson and Rene Russo, they were they were definitely getting it in, man. Thinking of that, like, so it's that it's like fucking, oh my god, what is that movie with Denise Richards and Matt Dillon? Wild Things. Wild Things was a weird ass sex movie in the late '90s, but that was the thing. Like, are we gonna have to do a a '90s sex movie bracket at some point too? Because I feel like. This is what you're um, <laughs> throw well, body the heat in is, there as well. There you really go. just the, like the thing is like so of uh, the movies like Sex Lies and Videotapes, which is a really great movie. Oh, that was such a good one. You have a movie like Wild Things where it's in Showgirls where <laughs> it's oh my god, Showgirl like Wild Things shows Nev Campbell, Matt Dillon, and Denise Richards like on the start of a three-way it's just too much it's way too much and i i was sold a ticket to watch this movie and i was legit like 13 or 14 years old like (laughs) that's what the 90s were bro like oh also it's crazy that last action hero holds up so well when there's scenes of characters saying like why do you think there are no ugly women here like and, oh my God. and 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 he's just like I don't know what you mean. <laughs> like oh, yeah. but it still it still kind of works despite that. It's crazy. I mean, I feel like because it acknowledges that it's making fun of a pre-existing trope, it's not yeah. as bad as it could be. But it for sure required a decent amount of tact for it to land at all. Yeah, I guess that's my point. Yeah, I guess you're right. Is like that that it just well, sort of lands. I think the language of that it actually works because if he would have said we're the ugly women, it would have been like, whoa, whoa, you fucking dickhead. If the kid would have said that, but he yeah. says we're the normal everyday women, which that's I true. Mean, that's, yeah. No one, no one's we're, going to blockbuster in latex. Where, where are the <laughs> uggos at? <laughs> I also think that by framing it with a kid, you can get away with a little bit more of sure. that because like yeah. he, he's like what? 11. I think they say yeah, 10 or 11. Like 10, 11, 12, yeah, something like that. So you can kind of get away with like not having tact, whereas if he was like a teenager and he said that. Because mm. like in the in the bathroom scene when he's brushing his teeth, he's like, next thing you know, we're talking about sex. I also he made some joke at one point Arnold did about like something, something premature ejaculation, something, something. And I was just like, ha! Like, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but you're gonna live to enjoy all the glorious fruits life has to offer. Acne, shaving, premature ejaculation, and your first divorce. I was gonna say it slipped in so quickly, and then I thought about that for a second, and I thought that was a bad plan, but also needed to acknowledge that it crossed my mind. Uh, That's why I was premature, Kat, I mean. Hey, (laughs) ahoy! Um, But, like, it was... It it happens it happens so fast uh but like it, it sure did it sure did and and so that also I was like I, this is not for kids but it, it everything is is candy colored and there is an animated cat and I I don't ah 
And I can also kind of see if you're someone who makes your judgments about movies very quickly that you go like, oh, this is page master, but for movies, no thank you. Sure. I get that association. Oh, man. Yeah. We gotta I... just start wearing white suits. Just white suits all summer. Like switching up like contacts to look like, you can say like political things, but then you can say like, you know, just wild ass shit on them. I'm completely game for some some like sweet Miami Vice style suits to make a comeback. I'm ready. I'm here. Oh, this is the dismount. Who had the better suit, Benedict or Neo? Because I'm with my man Benedict. Like like the with the big ass revolver too in the the. Mm-hmm. T- Ooh. I didn't like the fabric choice for him. I didn't think that the the suit fabric color looked great with his coloring. I think Neo looked a lot better in the black. So from a, a perspective of I take my menswear very seriously, I'm I'm giving it to Neo only by a hair. Dan, this this is what you've been we've been building <laughs> up to this moment all night. You are the tiebreaker, Dan. So I'm who saying has the best suit. Benedict above Neo but below John Wick. All right, I'll accept it. That's where I'm ending up on that. Let me articulate this a little better. I hate that he has a cream tie with a white suit. That really bothers me. Well, no, the suit's cream. The In tie every picture I'm looking though. at, yeah, he's got an off-white tie and a white or cream suit, but they are not the same gradation of off-white. The tie has like this pattern that makes it slightly darker, but yeah. I know what you're talking about. I'm not a big fan of that. I prefer I prefer a more deliberate looking match, but I also understand he's he's busy doing crime and such. So, you know, I can't I can't be too mad. But I think Neo plays it safe and does does the black on black because he knows he's a man on the go and wants to make sure that everything matches. All right. The last dismount question. Would you rather have the Nebuchadnezzar or Arnold's daughter's big ass monster truck? Can I just get Arnold's convertible, actually, like that Camaro thing he's swinging around. That motherfucker kind of beat, though. But you would choose I, that over the monster truck? Uh, yeah, I know you like live in Texas, but like, I don't. Oh, where would I park that? <laughs> you park it on top of other cars, cat. Like, that's the purpose <laughs> of it. Yeah, like I, I listen. I work at a tech company. Like we don't, we don't have the infrastructure for monster trucks in the north. We just don't. Maybe maybe if I went like off-roading in rural Maine, but even then someone would probably shoot at me because I'm a woman. So like go nah. mudding? You want to go mudding? That's not really my brand. <laughs> I'll take the monster truck, Marcus. I'm with you. That thing, <laughs> that, that thing rips. It really did, man. Follow Cat at cat underscore Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Follow Marcus at Showin' Mad Love, S H O W I N M A D L O V, on Twitter and Letterboxd. Follow the show on Twitter at Cat and Mark, and join our We Should Do This Again Sometime Facebook group. Be sure to read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and the Mark Rob, T H E M A R C R O B dot WordPress.com. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenlee. Thanks for listening. We should do this again sometime. This is a hyphen podcast production.